Bible, then let's open up together to Romans chapter 1, our second to last sermon, I think, in Romans chapter 1. Uh, we'll be looking today at Romans 1, verses 28 through 31. And if you don't have a Bible, then please get one of the black Bibles that's on the end of each pew, and in that Bible, it's on page 939, I think. You can confirm that. Romans chapter 1, let's read together from verses 28 through 31. This is speaking of the universal depravity of mankind, the course of all men in response to the revelation of God in nature. Here's what it says. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. All right. Well, there you go. As we get into this, this is one of the what's called a vice list in the New Testament. And as we consider these things, you need to consider that everybody in here is in one of two categories of humanity. Ultimately, at the day of judgment, those two categories are going to be called the sheep and the goats, but even the sheep at one point were goats. And so we need to know that either today we are in the natural state or we're born again. And when I say the natural state, my wife grew up in Arkansas, that's what they call Arkansas, the natural state. That's not the kind of natural state I'm talking about. I'm talking about the state into which we were born as sinful people. Ever since Adam and Eve, nobody is born as a blank slate. Nobody is born good. We are born with built-in, depraved, sinful software. And that seems so normal and so regular and just how everybody is, and yet... It is an abomination before God. And if you are in that natural state, unbelieving, unrepentant, have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, then what you need to do is you consider these things and these laws of God against these vices. You need, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and maybe start praying right now that God would be at work by his Spirit to do the right work in you. And the right work in you that you need done is to be brought to faith in Jesus and a repentance of your sin. The other category that you could be in today is you could be someone who is born again. And by born again, I don't just mean a category of people who were a voting block in the late 70s and 80s. I'm talking about what Jesus said in John 3, where he told a very religious man, unless you were born again, you will not see the kingdom. We need to be regenerated. We need a new heart. And those who have been born again, if that's you, if your faith is in Jesus Christ today, then you are standing right with God right now. And I want to encourage you that up front. If your faith is in Jesus, you are already righteous in God's sight. But we also need to know that God in his design and in his mysterious ways has not decreed to remove all of our sin until we get to heaven. We still have what's called remaining corruption. We still have desires of the flesh. We still have the old self that we deal with every day. So every single one of us in here is going to need to be confronted by this list, by these sins, this all manner of unrighteousness that's listed here. We need to know that whether you are an unbeliever 
who needs to repent and come to faith in Jesus and be forgiven of these things, or whether you're a believer who sees various aspects of these things still remaining in your corrupted flesh, even as you are a new creature in Christ, that this is driving us not just to see what God's against, but also to see the good news, that God is the one who has given Christ the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Let's look at verse 28 to begin with, where it goes from ungodliness to unrighteousness again. I'm trying to emphasize this to you in this section of Romans 1, where the beginning of this section was in verse 18, where it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That ungodliness and unrighteousness is presented to us throughout the rest of this chapter and in this verse right here, verse 28, as something that's not just two things in a list, but one thing that leads to another thing. That there is ungodliness that leads to unrighteousness. That it is a failure to follow the first four commandments that overflows then in a failure to follow the last six commandments. A failure to love God that overflows in a failure to love neighbor. It is a darkening of heart toward the things of God that then overflows in a darkening of heart toward the affairs of mankind. Ungodliness leading to unrighteousness. That's why in Psalm 51, that beautiful classic psalm in which David is expressing his repentance of his sin, specifically the sin of adultery that he tried to cover up with the extra sin of murder, as he is telling God about his repentance, he says this in Psalm 51.4, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you wonder, how could he say that when he committed adultery and murdered a man? Well, he can say that not because there was no sin against anyone but God, but because he was painfully aware that every bit of the unrighteousness that had worked out in his life had its root in ungodliness in a failure to submit first and foremost in his personal relationship with his God, with his creator. It says here in this verse, for this reason God gave them up, who is them? Or excuse me, that I accidentally went to verse 26, but it does say that here in verse 28 also. It says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. So who is the they? Who is the them who is going to say is given up? He's talking mainly about those who grew up apart from any knowledge of the scriptures, those who are the Gentiles, as he's calling them throughout the world, the tribes of the nations, but it applies to every human being. He's about to emphasize that when we get down to chapter 2, that this applies to everybody, that this is the natural course of the human heart in response to the revelation of God that comes in nature by knowing that God created everything, which is something that everybody knows, The natural response is not then to turn and to worship him. Here's the natural response. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. When it says they did not see fit to acknowledge God, what that means is that there there was a certain knowledge that he already talked about earlier in this chapter that everybody has of God, but the natural course of mankind is to say, but my life will be more convenient if I choose to ignore that part of my knowledge, if I choose to remove my need to worship my creator. If I replace that with something more convenient, that'll be more comfortable for my life. 
maybe just set it aside altogether, maybe replace it, as it says, is the course of mankind earlier in these verses, to replace it with the worship of the creation rather than the worship of the creator. It says that they had this knowledge, but they did not see fit to acknowledge God. They didn't want to keep that knowledge. Just as they didn't want to do that, it says, then God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God gave them up to a debased mind. That word gave them up, we saw that last week already twice. Verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. For this reason, God, verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then it goes on and describes homosexuality in those verses. And he is saying here, well, that giving up, that's military conquest language. It's saying when people pursue the desires of their hearts, the built-in desires, and think to themselves, well, the way that I should go about my life is to fulfill the desires of my flesh, and then I will be a fulfilled person. When that is happening in a person's life, that is God's giving them up to defeat by the enemy. This is military conquest language, and it says God gave them up essentially to defeat by a debased mind, by a depraved mind. He's talking there about the depravity of human beings, that every single part of who we are, from our mind and our heart all the way through, is affected by sin. We were born that way. We were not born a blank slate. We were born depraved. We were born debased. That debased mind is what God has the ability to restrain or to let run wild. God can pull back sin. God can let sin go. And when God lets sin go, when God allows people according to their inner desires to pursue those desires, to fulfill those desires... That is a judgment from God. One of the things that we see here is that everybody needs God to restrain them. Everybody needs God to restrain them. When we talk about the doctrine of total depravity, which is what we're talking about, meaning every single part of who we are was deeply affected by sin from birth, sometimes people misunderstand that and they think, well, if I believe that people are totally depraved, then that would mean that everybody was just running out doing every sinful thing that they could possibly imagine. Well, it doesn't mean that everybody is as sinful as they could possibly be. But one of the things that this verse shows us is that the reason that people are not as sinful as they could possibly be is not because they are gradations of better and worse people. It's because of God's restraint upon their hearts and their lives. As I, I, we live in a neighborhood that's pretty peaceful where people generally go about their lives in an orderly way and tend to be kind to each other. And vast majority of people in our neighborhood are not believers in Christ. How is that? Why is that? Well, we praise God. God tells us right here in this verse that that is by his mercy to restrain debased minds. It's to restrain debased minds. And in our own lives, we need to thank God for where he holds us back, for where he does not let us pursue the desires of our flesh. What a gracious thing of God. That's why we say, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's God holding people back, and we praise him for that. The way Robert Haldane put it back, I think it was the 1830s, he wrote this. He said, this passage shows that all that remains of moral uprightness among men is from God who restrains and sets bounds to the force of their perversity. Now that perversity, 
that debased mind. You see that all over the place, and you see it in sinners who are apart from Christ constantly trying to justify themselves. Constantly trying to say, sure, I'm not perfect, but here are the reasons why I still think I'm a good person. Now, not everybody would do that, but we saw that this week. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of somebody named Andrew Cuomo. We, we all know that he resigned in disgrace this week in the middle of a sexual scandal with sexual harassment and may still have criminal charges coming up against him. And in his announcement of his resignation, he said of himself in the middle of that scandal that everything that he did was motivated by love. He called it New York loving, which is a category that I'm not familiar with. <laughs> Guys... I mean, that is, that's just the normal way. It's not just Andrew Cuomo. I mean, it's easy to put political figures up there. We need to pray for Andrew Cuomo's salvation. What an amazing thing it would be to see him after having gone through everything that he's gone through and done in his life at this point, to then be taken hold of by the Holy Spirit through somebody coming to him and telling him the gospel. Let's, let's pray for that. Let, let's not rejoice over the downfall of people. But even in that announcement, we see, well, that's, that's a really interesting way that the lost sinful mind tries to justify itself. Another way, just a, a few months ago, you remember these dark side hackers who shut down uh, this, this oil, oil pipeline all the way from Texas all the way up here to, to, to New Jersey? Uh, they put out an announcement. These hackers put out an announcement on their website that says, our goal is to make money and not creating problems for society. They said, from today, we introduce moderation and check each company that our partners would want to encrypt, meaning to hack and hold for ransom, to avoid social consequences in the future. Isn't that interesting? This group of hackers, their stated purpose is we intend to steal. But they're saying, we're we're going to do it ethically. We are upright thieves. We're going to do better next time. And that's what the depraved mind looks like, but God does not let that go. God exposes us. God lays us bare, and he's going to do that in showing that by that debased mind, that's where all of these things come from, all of these sins, all of these vices. They're not from God. They're, they're from the sinful hearts of human beings. Guys, if you are a, a person who does not believe in the Lord Jesus as your Savior today, Don't try to justify yourself. Don't try to give some reason before God for why you might be a little better than the next person or why it really wasn't that bad or why your your desires are really actually beautiful, sanctified desires or something like that. No, go to God. He's merciful. He's gracious. Don't try to justify it. Ask His forgiveness. And save people. Believers in Jesus, thank God for saving you and... Be aware that there is still remaining corruption in us. And we need to look at it. We need to repent of it. We need to root it out by the sanctification of the Spirit. So when it says they did not acknowledge God, that's what led into all of this debauchery and debased mind. What do we need to do? Acknowledge God. Acknowledge God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we don't acknowledge God, if we don't have a healthy fear of God that would drive us to his love, then we haven't begun wisdom. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In all your ways acknowledge him. 
there's a temptation sometimes to say, well, because I acknowledged God on Sunday morning, I'm covered for the next seven days. Or because I acknowledged God in my morning devotional, I am covered for the rest of the day. Now, those things are extremely important means of grace that God will use and help us in. And it says, acknowledge God in all your ways. Every bit of who we are and what we're doing, whether it is our interactions with our family or our time at church or our work at our jobs or your work in the classroom, kids, uh, or adults in the classroom, (laughs) every bit of it, it says acknowledge God and he will direct your paths. You also need to know that behavior modification is just a band-aid over deeper spiritual problems. Behavior modification is a band-aid over deeper spiritual problems. If you can say to yourself, well, I see that I'm doing things wrong, and so I'm going to try to work really hard to do things right, don't get me wrong. I'd rather you do the good things than the bad things. But you also need to know that if you are simply changing your behavior, you are not addressing the root problem. If you are only addressing your unrighteousness, you have not addressed the root problem of ungodliness. We need to approach the problems and the disobedience in our lives first by going to God. We we need to be right with God by faith in Jesus and by ongoing repentance and dependence on Jesus alone. That is the root thing. That's the heart issue. But if we only modify our outside behaviors, then what you're doing is it's like putting a fresh coat of paint on a car that's rusted all the way through. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a compound fracture. It's like putting whitewash on a tomb full of dead men's bones, as Jesus puts it. Behavior modification is just a Band-Aid. And here's the way that Jesus describes the result of that in Matthew 12. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, which is an improved life, among other things, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says... I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. That's a modified, cleaned-up life on the outside with no Holy Spirit living on the inside. Then it goes, and it brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person was worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Behavior modification is a band-aid. We need to be right with God from the heart. That's the actual cure. The blood of Jesus applied to our sinful hearts for forgiveness and cleansing. You also need to know when it mentions the debased, depraved mind here, there are implications here for mental health. There are implications here for mental health. So often when you go to a mental health professional, they have no knowledge of Christ. They have no knowledge of the actual state of the soul. And if they are simply saying, do these things, or let's talk through it, or here's this medication, I'm not saying that you may not take medication. I'm not saying you may not listen to the right, you know, these helpful steps to follow. But, guys, you need to know that the root problem of so many things going on in the mind is the depravity of the mind and sin. And if someone is trying to treat those issues without getting at what the Bible says is the main thing about us, 
then again, that's just going to be a band-aid. It's just going to be a band-aid. So what we need is we need to be right with God. We need to be repentant of sin. So many things that the world deals with that they go to their, I mean, you might as well just call them secular pastors that they go and sit down with and pay money to in order to have a form of spiritual guidance from. So many of the things that they're dealing with, they just don't realize that the root problem is that they are not doing what they were created to do, which is to submit to and worship the God who made them, to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. That's the root issue. That's the root issue. Again, all kinds of questions bubbling up. I'm not, this is not a sermon about that, all right? But you need to know that you need to walk in the counsel of the righteous. If you are seeking your treatment for what's going on from those who don't know Christ, you are doing exactly what it says in Psalm 1, walking by the counsel of the wicked who don't know what's actually happening with your heart. They can give you band-aids, but they can't give you the solution. And you need to know also if there are things going on in your heart that you just think, I can't get past this. Well, it says there's a problem with a debased mind. There's a problem with the mind. We need to be worshipers of God. You need to be, the very first thing to do is be engaged in the worship of God. That's all the way back in verse 21. You need to be honoring God. You need to be giving thanks to God. If you are not active in the worship, the active worship of God in your daily life, then I'm not surprised that you've got all kinds of issues going on. If you are not active, intentionally serving your church, which is also God's design for your heart and your life, if you are not actively, intentionally loving your brothers and sisters and loving your neighbor that God put in your life, then again, I'm not surprised that you would be depressed. So now, I am not saying pray more, Follow these steps, everything will be better. There is value to a lot of things. That's an entire massive subject. But we have to start with the basics about what God says about who we are, how he has created us, and what we were made to do. And we need to be right with God. Again, we cannot address unrighteousness apart from addressing ungodliness. And if we're going to address the things even going on in our own mind, we need to start with godliness with godliness. Now, now that I've opened that can of worms, let's look at verse 29, all right? It says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. All manner of unrighteousness. Now, the most obvious unrighteousness was what was already covered in verses 24 through 27, which is sexual immorality. That is the number one thing that that lost human hearts tend to go to. It is the number one desire of the flesh, that people want to be fulfilled in and indulge in. And he has already dressed that thoroughly, but he is now telling us it's not just that. So often when we use the word sin around people who are not Christians, there's an impression in their minds that sin is just like this incredibly bad set of stuff. Not like the things that I do, right? Not like, well, so often I've spoken to people that I'm sharing the gospel with, and I bring up the concept of sin, and they're like, oh, sin? Yeah, I've sinned before, but not usually. And 
So he's saying, yeah, I mean, the obvious things, he's addressed those in verses 24 through 27, but there is also all manner of unrighteousness. So he takes that into us, not just the obvious things, but all manner. He says that they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now, before we get into this list of all manner of unrighteousness, think of that word filled. Filled. Everybody wants to be filled up. Everybody wants to be fulfilled. What it's getting across here is not just that they went into this, but that there was a seeking to be fulfilled. This is the normal path of mankind, is to say, I will find fulfillment in carrying out the desires of my flesh. It leads into all manner of unrighteousness. Those of us who are in Christ are not to be filled with unrighteousness. We're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to be filled with the Spirit. In the Bible, when it talks about those who are filled with the Spirit, it means that we're enabled by God to carry out what he gives us to do. Those who are filled with unrighteousness are allowed by God to carry out what their depraved hearts want to do. Those who are filled with the Spirit grow more and more into spiritual maturity, into the fullness of the image of Christ. Those who are filled with unrighteousness indulge more and more in childish behaviors that they call adult. Those who are filled with the Spirit delight themselves in God, crying out from the heart by the power of the Spirit, Abba, Father. And those who are filled with unrighteousness delight themselves in sin, following their father, the devil, as Jesus put it in John 8. What does this look like? Well, it looks like all manner of unrighteousness. Unrighteousness there, meaning any kind of a breaking of God's law, whatever it is that God has not designed for us, those things that are sin, those things that are contrary to what God has said to do or what not to do, where we have broken those. And here is some of those things. He says, all manner of unrighteousness, evil. What does evil mean? Well, it's a general term. By the way, when we get into this list, not all of these things are mutually exclusive from each other. They don't all have like completely distinct definitions from each other. There's a lot of overlap here. And sometimes he puts particular words together because they rhyme in Greek and stuff like that. But he is just expressing, look at all these kinds of evil, all this manner of unrighteousness. And that first thing that he says is evil. It's that general desire of the heart to delight itself in getting away with what's evil rather than to delight itself in serving God and what is good. As our statement of faith puts it, that we, in our, state, in our natural state, the, the, the depravity of our hearts from where we were born, that we were positively inclined to evil. We'd rather have the thrill of getting away with something than doing what's right. Covetousness is the next thing that he mentions. What that is, it, it is a failure to give thanks. Now, there's lots of ways to fail to give thanks, there's grumbling, there's complaining. It says back in verse 21 that part of the reason that God made mankind was so that we would give thanks. We've been designed to give thanks. But one of the ways not to give thanks, to be against God's design for us, is covetousness. That's a dissatisfaction with God. It's a dissatisfaction with what God has given us. And covetousness is a willingness to cheat to get more. Now that willingness to cheat, that greed that would drive to all kinds of things, uh, of, of ways to get what is not ours. Sometimes people who are poor think that that's a sin of the rich. Often the rich think that that's a sin of the poor. You know what? It's both. 
You can be in love with money, whether you're rich or poor. You can be covetous no matter how much you already have. The next thing it says is malice. Malice is the desire to hurt people, the desire to get revenge. It's a denial of what God has said about himself. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's reserving to ourselves what belongs only to God. Vengeance. It's murder in the heart. The next thing he says is envy. They were full of envy. Envy is not very different from covetousness. It's thinking that God gave good things to the wrong people. That God got it wrong when he gave out good gifts. What it is, it's a form of pride. Envy is saying, I am the one who ought to have what he has. I am the one who ought to have what she has. I'm the one who ought to have a job like that, a family like that, a wife like that, a husband like that. I am the one who ought to have that house, that car. I am the one who ought to have that kind of fame and notoriety. I am the one who ought to get invited to speak at that event. I'm the one who ought to have a church like that guy goes to. I'm the one who ought to have a life like that. But God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. We're called not to envy, but to rejoice in what God has decided to do in his providence and what he's given us. Murder is the next thing. Murder. Now, we who are Christians, the first place that our mind usually goes when the Bible talks about the sin of murder is where Jesus expounded on the sin in Matthew 5. And he says, but I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. He's saying that this sin from the heart and even sin in words makes us guilty of breaking that sixth commandment, you shall not murder. But there's also, it's not just in the heart. This is funny. Jesus had to tell the Pharisees and and everyone around him that murder is not just an external thing. It's also in the heart. I think that more often now we have to tell people murder is not just in the heart. It's also an external thing. When you use these hateful words toward people that come out of your mouth, when you engage in hateful actions toward people, kids, when you punch your sister, guys, Abortion. It is plainly murder. It is plainly murder. If that's something that you have in your past, then God is gracious. But you don't need to come to God with excuses and say, no, I think it was really all right because we need to come to God in repentance, knowing that he is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. We need to come to him in repentance. Assisted suicide. This is presented to us as not a big deal. It's presented to us by those who would think that it's not a big deal as dignity in dying. As though there were dignity in saying to someone who is elderly or in some kind of a situation of, of uh, disease to say to them, well, here's your dignity. I will allow you to murder yourself. That is not dignity. That's murder. And it's celebrated. Celebrate. Using the kind of, of birth control in marriage that results in the loss of life of a fertilized human being. Married Christians, do not engage in that beautiful gift that God has given you of marital intimacy without knowing what you are engaging in in the kind of birth control that you might be using. You need to do your research 
You need to talk to your doctor. You need to find out, is there any chance that this particular thing can cause a human being who has, some people call it a fertilized egg. It's a human being. Is it controlling birth by preventing that fertilization or is it controlling birth by flushing that human being down the toilet? Guys, don't murder. Don't murder. We could go on and on. We could go on about all these things, but I got to keep going. Strife is the next thing on the list. Strife is loving to win the fight instead of loving to advance the truth. This is a thing that you see often in politics. He's a fighter. He's constantly fighting. We're for him because he fights. Sometimes that fight might be good because it might actually advance the truth. It might be the kind of fighting that is what Paul talked about of we persuade men. But owning the libs, you know what that is? That is strife. And it's not just political. It's in our families. It's in churches. It's in workplaces. If we delight in just winning the fight instead of having a love for advancing the truth, then we're guilty of strife. Deceit. Well, deceit is deceiving people. It could be through outright lies. It could be through bending the truth. It could be through giving a perception that we intend to give that's not a true perception. Deceit. Maliciousness is the next thing on the list. Maliciousness is not very different from malice. It's got the same root word there. Not very different, but it's, it's this idea of taking pleasure in other people's harm. The German word for that is schadenfreude, and it is not a good thing. If we delight in someone being harmed, being taken down, guys, that is maliciousness. We need to pray for their repentance, for their restoration. All right. The next thing it says is they are gossips. Gossips, slanderers, and haters of God. Gossips, literally the word there, and what it says, I think, in the King James and some other translations is whisperers. Whisperers. This variety of, of gossip is those who like to spread harmful news in secret. Now, notice I didn't say false news. I didn't say lies. I said harmful news. That's what a gossip is. Someone who delights in spreading harmful news. And here especially, it's talking about those who would do that with whisper with a text message not intended to go to anybody else. With that, let me pull you into this other room so I can tell you what you need to know. Slanderers is the next thing, which is loving to spread harmful news about people in public. Not whether that's true or not true information. Slanderers are those who delight in spreading harmful news. Now as we see this, gossips and slanderers, we do know that sometimes there is negative information about a person that has to be shared for some reason, right? If, if, if we as a church, uh, if we are in a position where we are about to ordain a man into the role of elder, and you are aware of something in his life that biblically disqualifies him from serving as an elder, then it's your responsibility to come and, and to speak about that and to say, hey, the, the church ought not to bring this man into this position. There's, there's all kinds of ways that, that you could um, have reasons why you need to share negative information. But if we are delighting in that, if we're not stopping to think, is there an actual reason why this needs to be shared? Is this actually going to accomplish good? Is this what God would have me to do? If we instead just delight to share negative information, then that is gossip and slander. 
I love what Jonathan Edwards said in his resolutions. He wrote these as a young man. I think he wrote this one in 1722. And it kind of sounds like it was written in 1722. But this is just something that he went over on a weekly basis among many other resolutions that he wanted to see happen in his life. He said, resolved never to speak evil of anyone so that it shall tend to his dishonor, more or less, upon no account except for some real good. All right, now, like I said, that sounds like it was written in 1722. But I love the idea that he's getting across here, that if there is negative information about someone that we feel that we need to share, the first thing that we need to do is not say, I might be the first person who gets to tell about that. I might become the trusted source of information to all those who want to know what's really going on. No, our first instinct should be, it pains my heart to know this. It pains my heart that I think I might have to tell this. And I want to drop to my knees in prayer and prayerfully consider before God, is there an actual God-honoring reason that God has given me why I need to share this negative information. And if there's not, then it's gossip, it is slander, it is ugly, it is a breaking of the ninth commandment, and it needs to be put away from our hearts and our lives. Then he says, haters of God. Haters of God. Now, I don't know very many people who would stand up and say, I am a hater of God. This is, a, this is one that most people would not want to identify themselves with, no matter where they stand on their spiritual spectrum. And yet, this is the truth about those who are apart from God, who don't have faith in Jesus. What, what is it that people love when they don't have faith in God? Well, they love, if they say they love God, they have some idea of God. It's not true. But, but when you are confronted with actual God, there, there is so often hating of God. I, I, I don't know, a month or two ago, I, I, I was sharing the gospel with this lady who was drunk, and uh, I... People are more honest when they're drunk. And she told me, if God has all those rules, I don't think I like God. Well, that's really how people think. That is the truth. That's one of the main reasons why people hate God is because of his law that exposes our sin. I don't think I like a God who has all these laws. People hate God because of his holy character. Why would anyone hate God for his holy character? Well, people hate each other for their holy character. People say, well, that guy over there, he seems so good, I hate him. Ned Flanders. God and his providence. People hate God for his providence. People hate what God brought about in their lives. They say, I cannot stand the idea that what has happened in my life and in this world is controlled by a God. I hate him if he's in charge of these things. Haters of God. You know what? The way that you know whether or not you love God is whether or not you love Christ and his people. If you love Christ and his people, then you are a lover of God. If you don't love Christ and his people, then you are a hater of God. I don't just say that because I'm making it up. Jesus said, if, you're, if God were your father, you would love me. But those that he was speaking to, instead of loving him, God in the flesh who had come to them right in front of them, these are people who said, God is our father, we love God. And when God stood before them, you know what they did? They crucified the Lord of glory. 
There's only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus the Son, the way, the truth, and the life. And those who love God are going to love his people. It's much easier now that Jesus is not here in person to say, I love Jesus. But the way the Bible says that that works out in evidence and fruit is loving his people. It says in 1 John 4.20, if, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, meaning his brother in Christ, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Guys, don't say to yourself, oh, I love God. I love Jesus. But that church is full of hypocrites, and I don't want to be around them. Or I love God. I love Jesus. But I just can't get myself out of bed by 10.15 on a Sunday. We, if we love God, we will love Christ and his people. He goes on and says, insolent. What insolent is? That's abusive. Abusive, whether verbally or physically. A tendency to throw out verbal insults or physical violence or both. Haughty. That means proud. Arrogant. Now, we in our culture, there's, there are parades thrown celebrating pride, haughtiness, arrogance. But it says in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to who? The humble. Boastful. The world says, brand yourself and sell yourself, and that is how you get ahead. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Inventors of evil. You know what he's saying here? If, if your sin is not covered on this list, that's not surprising. If your sin is not mentioned explicitly anywhere in the Bible, that's not surprising. The evil has been invented all throughout history, and it's continuing to be invented. And sometimes people will say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about getting high. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about uh, sex reassignment surgery. Well, that's not surprising. People are going to keep on inventing more and more evil. And we know this. If you have children, you know this. Because you cannot possibly make up and list out every rule for every way that your children will think of to do what ought not to be done. And guess what? That goes for you too. The indwelling sin in our own hearts can invent new evils and try to justify them by saying, but I don't see any rule against this. It's because heart is constantly inventing evils. Inventors of evil. And then he goes on and he says, disobedient to parents, unwise, unfaithful, un, uh, heartless, and ruthless. This is a series of words that, uh, that, that kind of sound alike together in Greek. That not obedient, not wise, not faithful, not loving, not merciful. And he says disobedient to parents. Kids, when you disobey your parents... I know that your parents, you know, it, it, it kind of seems weird when your parents say, God says you must obey me, and yet God does. And, and when it's in your heart to say, but I want my own way, I want to prove that I know better than my parents, you need God to forgive you for that. Adults, the fifth commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother, it doesn't just apply to relationships between literal children and literal parents played out all over the scripture in whatever relationships of authority and submission God has put you in, whether it is a wife to her husband 
whether it is an employee to his boss, whether it is a citizen to the governing authorities. And if your tendency of your heart is to say to yourself, but I am one who knows better. I am one who questions authority. I am one who is not a sheeple who just goes along. I am one who will show my boss who's boss. That's just an outplaying of the debased mind. It doesn't mean we follow anyone into sin. Never follow anyone into sin. But God has put whoever's in authority in your life in authority in your life. Disobedient. Foolish, not wise. Again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All kinds of foolishness comes from ungodliness, not recognizing God. Faithless, that means not faithful, breaking covenant, breaking promises. Heartless, not loving. That's lacking that feeling and affection that ought to be in our hearts that God would use to restrain our sin and to to help us to do what's good, but just not even feeling it. The last thing is ruthless. That means lacking compassion lacking mercy toward our fellow human beings. Now, again, you could go on and on. The Bible has lots and lots to say about lots and lots of sins, but you know what there is here. There is a call to recognize our sin. There's a call to repent of our sin. It's possible that you've sat through this whole thing trying to find in everything in this list how it is that maybe it doesn't apply to you. But I think that if you dig down into your heart and you're honest with God and you lay yourself bare before God, there is a way that every single one of these things applies to you. This happened with me when I was preaching through the Ten Commandments. I am the guy in the pulpit preaching the law of God, and there is a tendency in my heart with each one of these things to say, I, I sure hope that this is something where I can find myself having never transgressed this one. You know, to say, well, maybe this command in the Ten Commandments, that one kind of hits me hard, but this next one, it's, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the clear. Every week I found that God's law is broad and expansive, as the Psalms say that it is, and it convicts us. We need to be convicted. We need to be repentant. We need to be driven to the gospel. So whether you're somebody who has ever come to this place that Jesus calls being born again or not. You need to come to Christ today and you need to be repentant and you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to recognize that these things call out the human heart for what it is. But they also call us to look to the one who forgives. Here's here's the hope that we have. I'm going to read you 1 Peter 3.18. I've told you before, this whole section of Romans is just showing us the depth of how deeply we need to be saved. He's going to get into how God saves us in chapter 3. But we need to know that every week. So there's been a lot of law. And you know what the law is intended to do? The first purpose of it is to drive us to the gospel. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Do you know who Jesus died for? Jesus died for people who did not see fit to acknowledge God. Jesus died for people who had been given up to a depraved and debased mind. Jesus died for people who were doing what ought not to be done and justifying it with all kinds of reasons about how loving they were in it or whatever else it may have been. Jesus died for the unrighteous, all manner of unrighteousness. 
and it was placed on him at the cross, and he suffered the fullness of the wrath of God, and he put it away. He died in that one act of righteousness that he secured us life and eternity. He died the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Go to him. Go to him. Throw yourself on his mercy. Trust him to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus who is our Savior. As we are those who are debased of mind and unrighteousness and indulgent in the desires of the flesh and all sorts of things, I thank you for us who've come to faith. I thank you that you've made us new, but we also are faced today with the fact that we have indwelling sin, that we have the corruption that still remains, that we have the old self and the desires of the flesh. God, would you grant us by the Spirit to crucify those things today and every day, to walk by the Spirit, not to gratify the desires of the flesh. Would you grant us to know the beautiful freedom and joy of being forgiven, which is the truth for us whose faith is in Christ. God, would you grant those who are not forgiven today to see their spiritual state before you? God, nothing I can say in itself can change a human heart, but you can take your word, and by your spirit, you can pierce to the depths of these hearts. God, you can beat back the gates of hell Lord, you can make a heart of stone into a heart of flesh to look to Jesus, the righteous who died for the unrighteous, and bring them to God. And I pray that you do that today. God, would you grant us to walk by faith? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.